This is Truth Encounter, and as our study leader Dave Wurtzen continues to discuss with us from Deuteronomy chapter 23 verses 15 and following, we will discover that we cannot manipulate God with our money and that God does take our promises quite seriously. Dave? Some of you feel like, man, in church they're always asking for money, and one thing I know about church is it's always about getting money. I want to tell you something. Today you're going to learn that God doesn't want certain kinds of money. Look what it says. It says, Do not bring, verse 18, the earnings of a female prostitute over a male prostitute into the house of the Lord your God to pay any vow, because the Lord your God detests them both. The Lord is saying there's such a thing called dirty money. It's money that's earned through sinful activities. And this is a rather blatant one. I mean, it's not too hard to figure out that if you're a prostitute, either male or female, and you get money for your services, if you bring it to the Lord, the Lord doesn't want it. The Lord told the Old Testament Israelites, don't do that. Now, I want you to stop and think about this, because that's pretty far removed from most of you. But I want you to think about why someone would do that. Because when you understand the why of someone doing that, is that you'll understand what the Lord is getting at for all of our lives. You know one of the things that we all do? We do little things that are wrong, and then we make it up to God. How many of you have ever done a little sin, and then you put a little bit more in the offering, because that'll cover it? Please put a little bit more in the offering. No, don't. You see, what the Lord is getting at, and this is an extreme case, it's, it's a very normal thing for someone let, like that's a prostitute to want to cover her religious basis or his religious basis. So what they do, and you could go into any major cathedral across the United States and you'll have those that are ranked sinners. The mafia, for example, will give big bucks to their church. Why? Because it covers We all have an idea. This covers the basis. This pays off that area. You know what God says? It's an abomination. Don't you ever bargain with me, God says. Don't you ever think, Dave Wurtzen, that you can do something that's rankly evil and pretend that I don't know about it and then give me a few more bucks and think that that takes care of it. The Lord says, beware of that. And God's people, when we change, and we used to learn our left hand, when the Lord tells us, you need to learn to live like this. Don't ever think you can manipulate me with your religious service. Don't ever think you can manipulate me with your giving. You need to give because it's a joyous, thankful thing to do. Never to manipulate God. When you learn that, and you're starting to learn to use that left hand spiritually, you're starting to grow. We need to get real serious about that. Look at the next thing. Verse 19, we go from prostitution to charging too much interest. Look at verse 19. Do not charge your brother interest, whether on money or food or anything else that they may earn interest on. You may charge a foreigner interest, but not a brother Israelite, so that the Lord your God may bless you in everything you do, put your hand to, with everything you put your hand to in the land you are entering to possess. And what's the Lord talking about here? He says, well, you say, first of all, Dave, is interest just, just out completely? Well, we need to understand in the Old Testament economy, in fact, if you look at the parallel verses that I gave you in Exodus chapter 22, verse 25, and Leviticus 25, 35, it specifically talks like this. If there's a brother Israelite who has become destitute, who is really in need, he's become poor, and he needs a loan to help him through a difficult time, then the Lord says, if you have the resources to be able to meet that brother or sister's need, don't charge him interest on it. 
In other words, under the Old Testament economy, they're not thinking in terms of someone coming to you and says, I want you to invest in this business venture. I'd like to borrow some money, and, and then I'm going to be able to sell all these things and go out and make a profit. That's not what we're talking about. In fact, when we talk about the foreigner in the next verse, it uses a word that in Israel, the foreigner would often be a traveling merchant. For example, a Phoenician that came in kind of like the guy selling all kinds of goods off the back of his wagon. Or maybe a trader that, that had like a Phoenician ship owner that would come and try to gather a bunch of capital in, in Israel to be able to go and sail his ship over to, say, over to Cyprus and be able to get goods and then bring them back. And that would be very similar to one of our capitalistic ventures in the modern world. The Lord is saying in venture capital, interest is to be expected. And so the Lord's not categorically saying that interest is, is wrong. What he's saying is that in cases where someone is poor and they're destitute, then we should not take advantage of that individual by charging interest on the individual that's trying to climb out of an intensely difficult situation economically. Under old Israel, if you were an Israelite, there was supposed to be a, a brotherhood, a sisterhood. And when someone was really in debt, when someone was really in danger, they were in trouble, the brothers and sisters were to help them, and they were not to charge interest. They were not to make a profit. You say, why not? Because the person that would just generously give, that would generously provide for somebody so that they could get out, would be declaring, God has blessed me. All of my prosperity depends upon the Lord. He's the one that's given to meet my needs. And therefore, I can give to meet your needs now, and then the Lord will bless you as you obey him. And the Old Testament is very careful. We're not talking about a poor person that is, has a strong back and is not willing to work, and they're just living off a system. We're not talking about that. But we're talking about legitimate needs. You say, Dave, how does that relate today? How does it relate today? The first century church, the Gentile church, found out that the Jerusalem church was in a famine situation. They were starving to death. In the ancient world, they didn't have grocery stores in every block, and they depended very much upon the, upon the Nile inundation in Egypt. It depended very much upon the way the crops went. And during the early years of the first century, there was a devastating famine, and Jerusalem was devastated by it. And the Apostle Paul wasn't just a herald of the gospel, but he cared about people's needs as well. The two of them always went together for Paul. And so he traveled all over the ancient Roman Greek world and he collected money from Gentile believers. He had different representatives travel with him to guard those funds so that everything would be sure to be kept above board. And then he brought that money to Jerusalem. And one of the greatest acts of love in the first century was when the Apostle Paul came into the church of, of Jerusalem and James, the Lord's brother, was there and he dumps out thousands of dollars of relief funds to feed the believers in, Jer in Jerusalem. You know, when Christianity does that, people know it's the real thing. One of our men, one of my close friends, was sharing me, with me this past week this idea of meeting needs, providing for those that, that need help. A friend of mine shared with me his dad really didn't respond to church all of his life, just never really was into it. And I know that because I knew him well, too. He would say, yes, I have received Christ, but he's one of those old, older codgers. It was hard to know exactly where he stood with the Lord. My friend told me that every time, you know, like the United Way went knocking this door, the guy's door, get away, get away, you know. You know, one of those, kind of like a, in, the, in the Scrooge movies, you know, get rid of those guys, you know, kind of like that. 
And one after another, United Way, Red Cross, man, this guy would never respond. But my friend told me when he was a little boy, every year when the Salvation Army came by, this guy's dad would open the door and he'd give a generous donation to the Salvation Army. This little boy watched his dad do that year in, year out. He said, man, dad, why do you do that? You never do that. And his dad sat him down one day and says, you know, in World War II, when I was working on airplanes, the Red Cross had a coffee stand way across the field. And if I walked across the field in the cold and gave him a buck or whatever it was, then I'd get coffee. But he said the Salvation Army, while they was working on that aircraft, would hand a hot cup of steaming coffee right over my shoulder. And all I did was reach up and take Now, here was a man that didn't come to church very often, but he understood what it meant for one of God's people to do an act of generous love. You know what's going to touch our areas when we multiply that again? One of the things I want you to get a hold of is what I do on Sunday morning really doesn't amount to a hill of beans unless you go out And it changes how you live in your school, in your business. You can transform this area. Or you can make the darkness get darker. And it all depends upon your actions. The Lord says, I want you in the Old Testament. If someone's destitute, you give to them generously. And you meet their need. The foreigner that was involved in capitalistic ventures, there's nothing wrong with a business that depends upon the investment of capital. And I want to say one other thing about this interest thing, though. In the modern world, one of the ways, and I've seen this in our church family, so I want to really warn you, one of the ways that excessive interest is charged in the United States of America, and I've told you this before, but I'm going to stress it again because it's a problem that I have. You get one letter after another with the, telling you we'll give you 8% interest, we'll give you 6% interest, we'll give you 5% interest. And when you read between the lines, they'll give you 5% interest for a couple months, and then it's going to be you know, so much above prime. One of the reasons that we're paralyzed in our giving, and everyone talks about how much money the American church has. They don't have the money. You know why? Because we pay it in interest. In our individual lives, you see, we have been trained. I grew up through the 60s and, the, and through the 80s, and the big thing was buy now. One of the hardest disciplines in my life is just to wait. How about you? And what we do is we use credit. We use credit instead of depending upon God. The Lord will provide what you need to live at the level that he wants you to live at, and you can be satisfied. What we do is use credit to live above what the Lord wants us to do. And instead of depending upon him, we depend upon that ability to borrow. I'll never forget a guy coming, you know, it's like so embarrassed. You know, I had to declare bankruptcy on my personal finances. And this Old Testament thing is, beware. Beware. Interest can kill you. It can destroy you. Learn to discipline. Learn to do what Proverbs says, slowly accumulate it. Now remember that business investment where there's the, that, that, that confidence of a prophet, 
is not what it's talking about. What it's talking about, you don't use loans and everything to run your family life, to run your family business. The older generation, I, I could give you one illustration after another of some of the older generation that learned that. It was pounded into their soul. On the radio this week, I had a dear lady wrote right in and she said, I just read your newsletter. And she said, my boy is 21 and we've just bailed him out for the third time. That's the last time. And she added in her note, my son has a hard time resisting the special deal, the once-in-a-lifetime thing. And she said, please pray that my son will be consistent to the commitment that he made. And she wrote in her letter, my son said, Lord, this is the last time I will not depend upon you and go into debt. And the dear mom wrote and said, please help him not just to be whistling through his teeth. And that was what she was saying. And so these words, beware of excessive interest, it'll kill you. And you can pray for me in that area, and I'll pray for you. The next thing, look what it says in verse 21. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it, for the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from making a vow, you will not be guilty. Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do it, because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth. Oh, I love the freedom the Lord gives you. Don't you love these kind of verses? The Lord says, if you want to make a vow, go ahead and do it. If you don't want to make a vow, don't do it. In other words, the Lord says, if you want to make a promise that, you know, like, I'm going to give so much to a group of missionaries this year, or I'm going to give so much to, to, to help within a WANA program, whatever it might be, the Lord says, if you want to make a vow, or in other words, if you go to a meeting and they say, man, this school, this Christian school really needs it, and you want to make a vow to become a part of that, that's great. Very good thing to do. But it says you also have the freedom not to make it. You also have the freedom to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I, 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 I don't think that is what the Lord wants me to do. But what does the Lord tell you? He says you can make the vow or you cannot make the vow. Throughout the Old Testament, vows to the Lord were a very important part of their worship to the Lord. Like in Jewish circles, they would make vows that they wouldn't cut their hair. Some of our teenagers make vows like that as well. Some of our adults do as well. Okay, they make vows they wouldn't cut their hair for so long and that they wouldn't eat certain kinds of food. And it was not a legal thing for them. It was a way that they could express devotion to the Lord. And then, at, then after the period fulfilled, they would cut their hair and then they would give a generous donation materially to the Lord in, in, the, in the temple in Jerusalem. It was a very special, holy thing to do. And it's something that can be part of our own Christian life. Making various vow to the Lord that we're going to honor him by doing certain things. That's what it's talking about. But it says if you do that, if you make that vow, keep it. Where does it come out in our own church family? Everyone has a spiritual gift of vacuuming. I read it in Hezekiah 4.17. And I really, we really need many, many more to get involved because it gets hard on a few. There's always a few. Just look. It's always the same slaves. And all the rest of us will look around and go, no, that's good, my servant takes care of things. It's just, if this happens at your own home, you run a dinner party. It happened last night. You know, I got almost all the desserts out and then I quit. I kind of faded away. I got my own desserts, sat down. And my Holy Spirit and my family, my wife, <laughs> said, we're not done serving yet. You can't feed your face yet. We all want to feed our face. The Lord says you need to serve. I want to challenge you as a believer. Remember I told you we need to get it into our left hand? 
I needed to get my air conditioner fixed along with a million other things. I mean, I have a recreated car. My car is a miracle. It's, if you want a brand new GM, I've got it. Because it's been totally rebuilt. Well, the air conditioner needed to be fixed. I stopped at an, air, at an air conditioning place early in the week. They said, well, this was last week. You can't come until Monday. So I said, all right, set up an appointment, bombed down the road. There was another air conditioning place. And I know this guy at this air conditioning place because I eat breakfast with him at least once a week or, or see him. So I ran into his place. He said, well, you come Monday too. And now what do I do? So I took it to my friend that I knew. I never called. I got blown and going. A bunch of you came for counseling, everything else. I never, never went back to the air conditioning place. What am I thinking about? They have people do that all the time, right? They have people set up at appointments all the time. Doesn't make any difference. I mean, that's what people do in business. Isn't that right? How many of you have people that make appointments with you in business that they don't keep them? Isn't that just part run-of-the-mill? Sure. So, that's the way it is. And I start reading this passage. If you make a vow, keep it. So yesterday, before I could come up and preach, while Mary was gone, so I wouldn't have more Holy Spirit convicting me. <laughs> I picked up the phone, and I said, hello, this is Dave Wurtson. I was supposed to be at your place last Monday morning at 8 o'clock. I wasn't. I'm sorry. I should have told you. The guy just about died. <laughs> no, he said, we had plenty of work, but thanks a lot for calling. When we start to do that at the church family, when I do it, when you do it, we're going to touch this area with the gospel of Jesus Christ. When unbelievers know, if a believer, if a believer gives me their word, I can count on it. I can die for that one. Then we're going to touch people with the power of the gospel. That's what's wrong. We've never had more media, never had more powerful presentations with so little ethics. And that needs to change. And there will be a moving in the spirit, and the moving in the spirit needs to begin right here. Is my yes a yes? And is my no and no. Our relationship flows from that. I've been teasing Mary a little bit. One of, the, one of the neatest things about our relationship, from the day that I met Mary, her yes was yes and her no, no. I stretch yeses and crunch no's because I don't want to offend. I want to try to figure out what you think first, not Mary. The Lord Jesus said, let my children, believers, let your yes be yes. And you're no, no. The children of Israel turned this vow thing into an elaborate system of truthhood and falsehood. I mean, they had a million things. If you swore your vow and said, I swear on the gold of the temple, then that was all right. They had all different kinds of things. But if you swore only on the gates of the temple, then you didn't count on that. So you had a, you had a whole gradation. You know, what did they swear on? Was it the gold? Was it the gate? Was it the cobblestones in the big courtyard of the Gentiles? In other words, they had a whole elaborate system. That's what Jesus just really climbed on them about. He said, you've got this elaborate system about whether or not you're going to fulfill your vows. He said, keep your vows. If you make a promise, if you say yes, do it. It's not too hard to understand. But boy, did it change. Boy, did it change people's lives. One final thing. For all you farmers, it says, if you enter your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat all the grapes you want. Hear that, Dan? Your grapes ready yet? <laughs> it says, but do not put any in your basket. You can't take any baskets with it. If you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to his standing grain. 
You know what the Lord is saying? There's two things here. He says the farmer needs to really be generous. A farmer needs to realize, you know, like, we've got plum trees. I'm, I'm going to invite all of you. We have plum trees loaded with plums. If you need plums, I'm sure you don't. But if you do, feel free to glean. You know one thing about our plum trees? Our plum trees, when they really get going, produce more plums than Mary and I could ever eat. Do you ever notice that that's the way all of God's creation is? And you multiply that, and there's a geometric progression. As you look at a beautiful wheat field, God takes little tiny seeds and he explodes them. Every rancher and farmer knows that. You know what the Lord is saying? He's saying that's a gracious, that's God's personality. God likes to take little dyings, little giving ourselves to others, and then he explodes it. And when you realize that, then you're not a Scrooge that clings. You're an open-handed person that wants to give because you realize my bountiful God will continue to meet my needs. So it says to all of us that are prospering, you need to let people into your fields. You need to give them the gleanings of your field. That's what enabled Ruth to be able to eat as a widow. She could come from Moab and go to Bethlehem and and Boaz would let her come behind the reapers and, and take what was left over so she could eat. That's what this passage has to do with. But you know what else it says? It also gives a very balanced warning. Don't mooch off others. In other words, you could go in and eat a few grapes, but you couldn't go in there with a whole bushel basket and collect the whole harvest. Don't steal. That's stealing. What it's saying, if you are traveling through Israel, you are welcome to, you know, to stop along the, the side of the road and pick some fruit and go in and get some grapes and take some harvest, but you couldn't take, you know, have all your kids come out with baskets and load everything in and put them in the trunk of your car. That was no, no. There's always this balance of the Word of God generosity, and yet not taking advantage, as God's children learn to do that. I was with a pastor on Monday morning, a pastor in one of the large churches in North Dallas. And he said that he, when he first went to this church, he, he took, went out with a businessman, took this businessman out to eat. And when the tab came, this pastor reached out and took the tab. He said, I'll take care of that. This elder in the church looked at him and said, you know what? He says, you're one of a very select group of two. He said, I've taken hundreds of missionaries out, hundreds of pastors out. You're the first one that ever offered to pay, except for one other guy. And that made an impact on that man's life. And there's the balance. There's a beautiful balance. It says that those who work hard, like it's serving the Lord, they need to be rewarded with every good gift. They need to be provided for, but it always needs to be based upon grace, never because it's expected. All of you that are in full-time Christian work, myself included, don't ever mooch. Let your word, let your yes be yes, let your vows count, but don't expect. There's always this balance. Deuteronomy has a beautiful balance. You know what the Lord is doing? We close today. The Lord's been out in the court He'd been saying, hey, you've got to learn to use that right hand. I want you to be a good player. I want you in your life to treat those that are strangers with great love, a great refuge. I want you to transform your society by your love, by the way you treat others. Even people that are different than you. He says, I want you to never get involved in immorality, to never get involved in cultic prostitution. I want you to be careful with dirty money. He says, I want you to learn to use your left hand. Use it wisely and skillfully. 
He says, I want you, when you keep your vows, I want you to keep your promises. I want you to be really careful to let your yes be yes and your no be no. I want you to be careful not to, not to charge people excessive interest. If the Lord blesses you and you see a brother or sister in need, if you can, I want you to make decisions to give them interest-free loans so they can get out of it, so that love can flow. And I want you to teach them how to use their finances wisely. I want you to really get into this thing of helping one another. And he closes by saying, you can glean in one another's fields. You should be eating over at one another's houses. You should be enjoying one another. Even a stranger can go through a field and take what he needs to eat. So we have great generosity, but we never mooch. We always are really careful to work with our hands, provide for our needs. Isn't there a beautiful balance in God's Word? Remember I asked you at the beginning, you've been taught the Word of God, what are some concrete changes? I just tried to share with you honestly some of the concrete changes that I've had to make, what I need to make. What has the Lord spoken to you about? 